The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Glad all of you were able to make it to the Inn in spite of the anarchy that's happening outside, right? No government. Yes! Um, so, as I said, my name is Janie. I'm one of the people on staff here, and I work here at University Ministries because I love college students. All of us on staff here in University Ministries work here because we love you guys. We love hanging out with you guys. We love having fun with you guys. We love talking life with you guys. Um, that is why we're here. That's why I'm here. Um, and all of us on staff, myself and Ryan, Annika, Chris, all our interns, we want to spend time with you guys. So know that that is why we exist, is because of you guys. Um, as I said, my name is Janie. I haven't had a ton of nicknames in my life. Um, Jane is a pretty obvious one. My name is actually Janie on my birth certificate. People always think it's Janie, um, but it's not Janie, so I don't get that wrong. But when I was in... Uh, when I was in high school, one of my big nicknames, I went to high school at the height of Snoop, so my nickname was Jane Doggy Dog. <laughs> because I'm a gangster. <laughs> the fact that I said I'm a gangster lets you know how much of a gangster I am, that I didn't pronounce it gangsta. So, anyways, um, nicknames are interesting ways to get to know people, the different names that we call one another. Um, and we're going to be looking a little bit at names um, in what we're talking about tonight. If you were here last week, you might know that we are going through a series on the Bible um, called How God's Story is Our Story. That's a series that we're going through. And we are going through the Old Testament. If you're not aware, the Old Testament is the first two-thirds of your Bible. We could consider it the prequel to Jesus, but it's some really great stuff. Oftentimes, we kind of avoid it unless we're looking for the Psalms. Um, but there's some awesome stuff. I don't know about how you guys experience the Bible, what your oppression's been, but I grew up in a church that regarded the Bible as almost like it were God himself. It was always treated um, with the utmost respect. If you, put any, if you put it on the ground or you put anything on top of it, that was like a sin worse than death. I remember in second grade Sunday school, um, putting a Bible on the ground and having my teacher respond, <gasps> like I had set fire to the Bible or something. And... As a kid, I always kind of expected it to levitate or, you know, when I would open it up, like the angels would sing, ah, you know, and their light shining out of it. Um, healthy respect for scripture is not a bad thing. It is the word of God. But I was actually scared of it. I would, you know, try to stay away from it. I thought it was too holy to be approached. There was no way I was going to understand anything in it. And as my faith has gone on, as I've grown up, as my faith has grown, I've discovered that... It's not something to be scared of. The Bible is useful. We can't understand it. It's awesome for our lives. It can be really valuable to understand who God is and know how God interacts with the world and how God wants to interact in our lives as well. It's actually one big story. The themes that are in the Bible at the beginning are the themes that are all the way through it, all the way to the end. The themes like promise, deliverance, provision, covenant, community, those themes are in Genesis and they go all the way through to Revelation. The big story of God, though, I think, is hard because it's, it's not an easy read, right? We can't pick it up, you know, like the Hunger Games and five hours later know what happens to Katniss and Peter, right? When we pick up the Bible, yeah, it's not exactly a straight line. 
it's chronological, but there's all this other stuff in there, and so it can be really confusing um, to take a look at. And that is why we want to do this series. That is why we're looking at how God's story is our story, because there's so much in Scripture that will help us learn who God is. There's so much in Scripture that will help us learn how God interacts in our everyday lives. So we want to give you some themes that you can look for. So when you are reading the Bible on your own or with your core group, you might be able to say, you know, look at, read a story in it and say, oh, I can see how this is the theme of deliverance that they were talking about at the end on Tuesday. And we'll know you guys were listening. It's great. Um, our hope is that we will help make the Bible a little more clear in that way. And also we have, we have sermon notes. I don't know if anybody's interested. Some filaments, this church calls them, um, some blanks. That's what I call them. That you can write um, some of the sermon information. Um, if something that we say tonight, if you want to follow along, you take notes. And then, Annika, also, we make a devotional that you can use as you leave here. So the rest of the week, if there's some things that you want to reflect on, you can take those with you for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. What we want to do is help make Scripture more approachable. Because I know how scary it can seem. Because um, that's the way it was for me for a really long time. So I'm going to take a minute as we get started and pray for God's presence in the midst of opening his word. God, we thank you. We pray that your spirit would fall on us tonight. That we would be aware of your presence in this place. That as we open your word and learn from your stories, God, that you would make yourself real to us in ways we need to know that you are here we need to know you're present in our lives. I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, would be acceptable in your sight. In your holy name, amen. Now, as I said, I take scripture very seriously. It's God's word, God's character revealed to us. But it's also a series of stories. And often with stories, it's helpful to have a visual representation. So I'm going to go through, we're going to start in the beginning in Genesis. And I'm going to go through a few chapters of Genesis. Um, and in order to maybe follow along or understand the story a little bit better, we're going to use pictures, and I'm going to use pictures from the Brick Testament. Are any of you familiar with that? It's the Bible told through Legos. So we're going to see a few pictures from that. First 12 chapters of Genesis. Um, in the beginning, we have God creating the world, um, and then, so he's holding up the sky, and then he creates the sun and the night, so we have God with the sun right there, setting it in its place. God created the world to be in relationship with him, and we read in the first few chapters of the Bible that that idea, of us being in a relationship with God, that goes off the rails pretty quickly, the beginning of Genesis. Um, but God created the earth and everything in it. He created creatures like those ones. Um, and then he rested, I think, is what he did next. Yep, then God rested. So God created human beings as well, and we have an image of God with Adam and Eve in the garden. They're little naked yellow Lego bodies, and they're not ashamed, and it's awesome. Um, but then pretty quickly, sin enters the picture. Um, off, oh, and then they also name the animals as well, which is wonderful that God had Adam and Eve steward the earth. Um, and then sin enters the picture, and... Um, it's often referred to as, a, as the fall, but it's the, it's the moment in which humans decided that they wanted to pursue their own kind of selfish ways instead of pursuing after God. And Adam and Eve are pretty upset when they no longer, they're in a broken relationship with God. That's their reality now. Um, 
And they had a bunch of uh, children, and generations later, it was the same thing. A bunch of the world became a horrific place because everyone was pursuing their own things, their own desires, um, and no one was interested in a relationship with God. So then you had we have kind of the world looks like a crazy place. There's lots of people doing crazy stuff. There's war and stuff going on. God sees it. God's not happy. And then we have Noah. You might be familiar with the story of Noah. He builds an arky, arky. There's a song. So he builds an ark, and then he puts the animals in it two by two. Um, Animals going in the ark. The world is flooded. And then scripture tells us God remembered Noah. I love this one. Oh, right, Noah. (laughs) The waters receded. And then we have a promise, a mention of a promise from God. That's what the rainbow is, a promise that God is going to be present. God is going to be in relationship with human beings. God is going to be in relationship with with humanity. Um, So this is where we have God's promise enter the world. And like the story, the stories that we find in Scripture are all about redemption, all about God trying to get into right relationship with humanity. That's what Scripture is all about. That's pretty, you know, if you're familiar with Jesus, that's what Jesus is doing. He's trying to bring us into right relationship with God. That's the redemption that we hear over and over again in scripture. And that's the promise that we're going to be looking at tonight. So then we have, um, Noah had a son, who had a son, who had a son. So here's the genealogy, which is a great way to look at genealogy because sometimes it can be a little bit overwhelming in scripture. Ultimately, that leads us, leads us to Abram, and I think we have a picture of Abram. He's there on the right. His wife is Sarah. That's his nephew Lot and his brother. So we are going to look at the story of Abram and the theme of promise in Abram's story. He's got a pretty crazy story. So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 12, um, verses 1 through 5. So this is the story of Abram. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out for Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. So to begin with, Abram and his wife Sarai, he hears hears God's promise, and he immediately goes. And I love that about God. No pleasantries, no, hey, how are you? Did you have a good summer? Just go to the land that I have promised you. Go from your house. I will bless you so you can bless the world. The promise that God gives is that their lives are going to be more than just their lives. They're going to be a part of God's bigger purpose. They're going to be a part of God's larger vision for the world. Now, considering how pointless life can feel sometimes, that's a pretty encouraging promise that they're given, that they're going to be a part of something bigger. Now, ultimately, this promise is the same promise that God says over and over in Scripture, and that is, I will be with you. Will you be with me? Probably the most important thing you can know about scripture, if you know nothing else but know this, God is asking in every story, God is saying in every story, I will be with you. Will you be with me? Now, knowing nothing, Abram and Sarai, they take off. They, they, they believed. They, they received the promise and they obeyed. Believing in a promise without any visible evidence, that is faith. 
Faith is being willing to give up control, to trust in something you might not be able to see, and say, yes, God, I will be with you. That's the faith we see in Abram and Sarai. Now, this is, there's echoes of the New Testament because Jesus says to the disciples, drop what you have, come and follow me. Abram's like the prototype for disciples. He leaves everything behind and he follows after God and says, God, I will be with you. And the rest of Abram's story, the rest of scripture is actually seeing, is God good on that promise? Is God going to actually follow through? All there has to do is trust in God. And a couple chapters later, in Genesis 17, God and Abram are talking again. They chatted a lot. It's pretty awesome. Um, and God repeats the promise, and it's apparent that God's with him. So here's what he says. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. So he changes his name to Abraham, and then a little bit later on, he says um, also that he's going to change the name of his wife in verse um, 15. He says, um, he says, I'm going to change her name to Sarai, and he also says that they are going to have a son. Uh, here it is. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarah. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell, fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? So their names are changed. What does it mean to change someone's name? We were talking about nicknames earlier, and um, I was clicking around on the worldwide waste of time, and I noticed that there are um, a bunch of different nickname generators out there, which I thought was pretty interesting. And um, some of the nickname generators, okay, my Kanye nickname, if you guys want to know, is Otis Plato. If I were a pro wrestler, my nickname is Supersonic Star, which makes sense, right? And then, do you guys know who Benedict Cumberbatch is? He's a British actor, and he was in Star Trek this summer. And I really like the BBC show Sherlock, and he plays Sherlock in that. So the Benedict Cumberbatch Cumberbatch nickname, and I mean, could there be a more British name than Benedict Cumberbatch? It sounds like a straight out of Harry Potter. But my nickname for, um, on that nickname generator is Snorkeldink Curdle Snoot. (laughs) Which makes sense, right? The thing about um, nicknames that is really important is that you have to have a relationship with the person who gives you that nickname, right? That, that's the point of a nickname. Now, I know Church said earlier, Ryan said earlier, that people call him the R sometimes. He said that last week, too, and I think you guys need to know a secret. He gave himself that nickname, okay? <laughs> it's true. He's really cool. But anyways... He is really cool, actually. You should get to know him. Um, the thing about Abraham and Sarah having their name change is that God has a relationship with them. It's a sense of, of knowledge of one another. That's one of the reasons I think God changes their name. I know you. I'm going to give you a nickname. The other thing is that when they are, receive a new nickname, it's, 
a moment of saying, you are changed. You are being changed because I am in your life. God changes us when we allow ourselves to be transformed by him. When we trust in God's promises, God changes us. There's nothing that we can do to stop that. There's transformation happening. God wants to change our name. God wants to transform us into who we were created to be. Now, their story might seem a little bit foreign, right? I don't talk to God audibly. Maybe some of you do, but I can think of a couple times in my life that I can think of where I've heard God speak to me audibly. So when we look at their story, we're like, you know, I can't really relate to what they're going through. But I think there's a couple things I want to point out in Abraham and Sarah's story that I think really connect to us in 2013. The first thing is that Abraham trusts in God's promises. There's no question of that. He takes a scary risk, he leaves a familiar, and he follows God because of his faith. But you also need to know, a big part of Abraham's story is that he was a huge failure. You need to know he was far from perfect. His life was a process of transformation. He failed a bunch of times, but none of his failures were fatal. None of his failures meant that God's promises were no longer for him. One of the best things we can take from Abraham's story is that throughout his life, he trusts, he's held up as a pillar of faith in scripture, but he also fell on his face in failure over and over again. He doubts. When God says, you're going to have a son, he laughs in God's God's face. I don't think I would laugh in God's face. He laughs. They go down to Egypt. He takes his family to Egypt. He has to deceive people to save his own skin. And I don't know if you know this, he keeps a wife on the side just to be sure that he can actually have a son. And he has a son by her because he doesn't, he doesn't fully trust that God is going to keep his promises. His faith is difficult and it's a failure a lot of the time. He falls on his faith, on his face, but he maintains a faith that God was going to be with him. Too often we think we're going to take a risk to follow after God when we get it all figured out, right? When we stop failing, when we do it right, that's when we're going to follow after God. Believe me, one of the things I love about scripture is this story is full of a bunch of failures. Over and over again, and myself, as a huge failure, love reading about those stories because God's promises never leave them, even though they fall on their face. If we waited until we had everything perfectly figured out, if we were never going to fail to follow God, then we would never do it. Abraham and Sarah weren't perfect, but they believed, they had faith that God's transformation would be at work in their lives. And they based their identity on those promises. The world tells us our identity needs to be on things that are safe, that are predictable, that we can control. This promise that God makes is scandalous in comparison to the world. Because it says that we can jeopardize everything the world holds true, which is saying that we can trust only in ourselves. The world says that we have to actually figure out things for ourselves, that we need security, we need conformity, that we need to seek acclaim from other people in order to truly be valued. And the world says that failure is unacceptable. That is not what God's identity says. That's not what God's promises say. If we have faith in his promises, we'll experience God's blessings. We'll experience transformation. And the things that we leave behind won't matter. 
And the second element of Abraham and Sarah's story that I think really speaks to us in 2013 is the magnitude of it. The magnitude of the promise. At one point, Abraham's kind of second guessing. He's like, I don't know if this is going to work out because he hasn't had a son yet. So in um, Genesis chapter 15, it says that God took Abraham outside because Abraham was Strugtown, right? He He was camping in Strugtown and he could not see the possibilities. So here's what God says. God took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. God is basically telling, to, telling Abraham, look at all of these stars. You are not even going to be able to count the number of descendants that are going to come from you. And he hasn't even had a son yet. That is overwhelming. If I were Abraham, I'd be like, okay, whoa, um, I'm going to need a minute here, God, because this is a lot for me to take in. So what does Abraham do? He has this huge, lofty promise placed before him. We actually have a picture of them looking at the stars together. Look up and count the stars. So what does Abraham do? Knowing this is the promise that God has given to him, this huge promise, this huge goal set before him, what does Abraham do? He has a son. He names him Isaac. That's it. That's all he does. When you look at it, it's really not all that impressive, right? People have babies kind of every day. It probably doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal, but God uses an old man who was imperfect and doubted all the time and a barren woman, and through them, God puts his promise into play. What Abraham and Sarah do is simply trust that God is going to do what God says, even though they might not be able to see it. God says, I'm going to bless you, but you might not be able to see it. One of the things I love most about college students is you're incredibly idealistic. You are pumped to do big, amazing things, maybe even change the world, and it's awesome. But I also think that those goals and those passions might come from other places. You are under so much pressure. You're under pressure from school, from your families, from our culture, which has been telling you since you were little that you have to change the world. Even the church is telling you, you have to be an amazing person. No longer can you serve in one place. You have to serve in five places. No longer can you graduate and get a job. you got to get a job that's meaningful. You can't just work in a nonprofit. You have to start a nonprofit. And if you want to prove that you really believe in God's promises, you have to give up all all you have. You have to move to a third world country and really suffer for the Lord in order to truly sacrifice You can't just find a place to live and a church to be involved in and people to care for. No, you have to do more than that. You have to do something amazing. It must be incredibly overwhelming. Now, I realize that there are people called to move to third world countries and people have awesome ideas um, to start nonprofits. But the point I'm trying to make is that no matter what you do, no matter where you are, God's blessings and love are for you. What we need to remember from Abraham's story is that God blessed them first before they even left. God's blessings are for us before we do anything. And you can be a blessing. You can be just as valuable in the small, everyday circumstances that you find yourself. 
I wonder if we're honest, the reason that we have these big passions, these big desires, is we think we need them in order to be important or valued or to have worth in other people's eyes. We have such a hard time trusting that God's promises are for us no matter what, no matter what we do. What God's simple promise to Abraham reminds us is that it can be just as awesome, just as impactful if it's small. If it's on the micro scale, think of someone who's impacted your life and think about how big what they did really was. Maybe it was a young life leader who wanted you to know that you were loved. Maybe it was a friend who was nice to you when nobody else was. Maybe it was your family. I would say the people who have had the biggest impact on my faith is my grandparents. And you know what they did to bless me? Besides a never-ending supply of Twinkies my grandmother always gave me? They prayed for me. And when they saw me, they told me. Not because they wanted acclaim, not because they wanted to be noticed, but because they wanted to know that I was loved. And it is one of the most important, most impactful things in my faith has brought me to where I am today, them simply praying for me. Abraham and Sarah demonstrate that they were secure enough in God's promises and patient enough to know that God was going to bless their son. Because you know what? Isaac, their son, he has two sons. And one of those sons, Jacob, he has 12 sons. And those 12 sons became 12 tribes. And those 12 tribes become a nation, a great nation, the nation of Israel. And then 2,000 years later, a baby is born from that nation. His name is Jesus. And he had a pretty big impact on the world. God's promises for you and for me. Some of you have gone with us to the Dominican Republic for spring break. Yeah, awesome. It's awesome. We go there every spring break for the last 10 years. We go to a city named Barahona with Children of the Nations. And here's what's so awesome about it. Children of the Nations, well, among other things, but Children of the Nations um, started establishing schools in 1997 in Barahona, right? And they've been there ever since. And just last year, they had their first ever um, student who was involved in their schools graduate from medical school and he went back to the village that he came from in order to practice medicine there because they have been there since 1997 from the first blessings that they tried to impart on children in those villages they have someone who becomes a doctor and comes back to bless them and we go every week and a lot of times students will be asking what are we really doing here right we're making small impacts And we can leave knowing that they are continuing to care for and love the people that are there. Maybe you want to see your entire sorority come to know Jesus. That is an awesome goal. And I think God can do it. God can do amazing things. But what if the place you started was by having two girls that you love and care for and walk with all year long in order to demonstrate God's love to them? Maybe your passion is to eradicate homelessness in Seattle and you feel the, the, the desire to really do that, which is, right, an incredible goal. But maybe the way that you have an impact is by volunteering with street youth here um, at the church, getting to know some of the kids who live on the Ave, letting them know that you care about them. Who knows what the blessings can be five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. Small impact, God's huge promises. Are you willing to take a step of faith and trust God's promise is for you? 
God's faithfulness is for you now and in the future. Are you patient and secure enough to make small impacts, minor impacts on on the people that you interact with on an everyday basis? You need to know this. God loves you. God blesses you first. God's promise is not based on how amazing you are. God's promises are based on how amazing he is. God invites you to join in his blessings, to rely on his promises, and trust him when he says, I am with you. Will you be with me? God, we thank you that you are our God. We thank you that you are present in our lives even when we don't know it. We thank you that you love us, you bless us before we're even aware of your presence. God, I pray that we would be able to see the ways we can have an impact, micro impacts on those that we come across, those that we encounter in our everyday lives, that we would remove the pressure for acclaim and value and see the ways in which you are blessing us, the ways in which you are blessing through us, so that we can continue to be your hands and feet in this world that needs to know your promises. Pray these things in your name. Amen.